It was the night before Christmas, and all through the house, no food was a stirring, not even a mouse. <laughs> Stockings were hung round Dad's neck like a tie, <laughs> along with a note that said, presents or die. <laughs> Children were plotting all night in their beds, while the wife's constant whining was splitting his head. <laughs> But Daddy had money this year in the bank. Then they closed up early. Now Dad's in the tank. <laughs> And all of a sudden, Santa appeared. A sneer on his face, booze in his beard. <laughs> Santa, I said as he laughed merrily, you do so much for others. Do something for me. Bundy, he said, you only sell shoes. Your son is a sneak thief. Your daughter's a flues. <laughs> ho, ho, Santa said, should I mention your wife? Her hair's like an A-bomb, her nail's like a knife. <laughs> And he climbs up the chimney, that fat piece of dung. <laughs> he mooned me two times, he stuck out his tongue. <laughs> And I heard him exclaim as he broke wind with glee. <laughs> You're married with children. You'll never be free. Do you ever fantasize? about being killed? Do you ever wonder about all the different ways of dying, you know, violently? I wonder, like, what would be the most horrible way to die? Well, hello, Mr. Fancy. The following program may contain mature subject matter. Discretion is advised. In the 1980 movie Christmas Evil, for those of you who remember that, I, I reviewed the movie way back, uh, episode 34, I believe it was. It's going back a couple of years. Anyways, uh, Brandon Maggart, who is the star of the movie and whatnot, he plays Harry. Um, some people know him as Fiona Apple's father, but uh, anyways, he played Harry. He played the, the the man in the the film that was the killer, and on top of that, by the end of the movie, he believed himself into being Santa Claus, and he drove off into the night in his VW van. I believe it was a Volkswagen. I'm not 100% sure. Anyways, I kind of recently found out that uh, 15 years after he did that, now Christmas Evil came out in 1980, 15 years later in 1995, Brandon was uh, in an episode of ER from their second season. Uh, he played a character by the name of Stan Callis. Um, interesting thing about that, so Stan is at the hospital. Carol, played by Juliana Margulies, 
she's tending to him and whatnot. And the the whole thing is, is the reason why he's there is he cut his hand while he was wood carving toys for children. And she's talking with him and whatnot. And she even makes mention that he looks like Santa Claus. And he he ends up that he says to her, he says, you know, he, he's talking about that how he misses the days when he would leave toys for children and then drive off in his VW van. Wait, what? So 15 years later, Brandon is on ER and makes mention about how he'd leave toys for children and then drive off in a van. Exactly how Christmas Evil ends. Um, coincidence much? Did he ad-lib that? Was that something that was a nod to Christmas Evil that most people didn't catch? Because I've got to be honest with you, I scoured the internet looking for some form of you know, confirmation that I was catching this properly and there's nothing. And I, I went back and watched the clip again. I was like, did he really say he drove off in a van after leaving toys for children? He does. So, and like I said, he's playing a character by the name of Stan Callis, moved the letters around and it basically is, you know, Santa Claus. (laughs) And it's just, it's really interesting. I was like, wow. He played Santa twice. Yeah. All right. Anyways, from the next level network of podcasts and Studio Zero, it's another killer Santa Claus movie this week. I realize that this month seems like I've almost completely dedicated it to killer Santa Clauses. Interesting. Anyways, welcome back, everybody. To what lurks behind Podcast Zero. And I am your host, Postmortem Paul. And this week, yes, I said another killer Santa Claus movie, which I I'm not gonna lie to you, I did not plan it like intentionally this way. All of a sudden I was like, there's another Santa Claus in this movie, and he's a killer. This is the third movie I've done like this. I almost wonder if I should go for, you know, the the quattro effect and do one next week but uh, actually have intentions for something else so we will break the santa claus tradition next week but more on that later this week for episode 113 lucky number 13 except it's 113 but anyways whatever this is a movie that probably has um at least four or five different names that i know it by uh i've chosen to go with the one name but there, like I said, there's different names. This is a French film. French film that, for the most part, was pretty much discovered just a few years ago. It's been around for a while. Um, as a matter of fact, there's quite a history to this movie that ties into another movie. And there will be a lot on that in this episode. Anyways, episode 113 for this week is from France. Deadly Games from 1989. And yes, I said it's known by other names. I will get into that in a bit. Uh, But right now, I might as well keep with the killer Santa Claus theme. (laughs) And it's weird, too, because I've even been watching, like, a lot of movies, like Christmas-related horror films and whatnot, been sort of scouring the net, just like you know, Tubi and Plex and Netflix and Shutter and everything, just watching a bunch of movies that I've never seen before, just to see if there's any hidden gems out there. There's been a few. There's been a couple. Uh, some not so good. Um, 
I don't want to knock the movie too much. Uh, if you happen to find a movie called Christmas Slay online, it's a UK holiday horror flick. Personally, for myself, I didn't like it. Uh, that doesn't mean you won't. Um, I just found myself personally not really caring too much for A, the characters, B, the editing. So I will put that out there. You're free to give it a shot. I just, it, it wasn't for me. A couple of other movies, though, that I have watched that, you know what, some, they, they had something there. Uh, from 2019, there was a movie called Slade. Uh, it's all about the sleigh, Santa sleigh, Christmas sleigh. This one is Slade. Uh, <laughs> anyways, it's a low-budget uh, slasher flick with, I will say, a great poster. The poster's awesome. And the poster's what pulled me in, right? And it's a great idea, but falls a little bit short on delivery. Not horrible, though. Don't get me wrong. The acting in this one is actually really good, especially for a modern low-budget slasher because some of the modern ones... That look like they were filmed using like an iPhone and they got that. It, it looks almost like really amateur and whatnot. Some of the acting is really bad in those movies. And I get some of that is meant to be intentional. Uh, this one, actually, the acting was not too bad. Uh, the lead up to what could be a great climactic ending is really well thought out. I will say that. I mean, the premise is basically it... it this takes place at a water plant, like a water treatment plant. Like it's just kind of strange. And the whole thing was, was that five years prior to, you know, this film's story, there was this terrible, gory tragedy where a killer had a few girls tied up. He had beaten and slaughtered them and whatnot. And so this is now five years later. And basically the killer has returned to, do it again, whether he's back to finish his job or he wants to go after a specific somebody or whatever. Who knows? Like, it, you find out as the movie goes on and whatnot. But anyways, there's this it, the whole idea of this killer Santa again on the loose. And what I, what I also really liked about the movie was it's a small enough cast. It, relatively, what, maybe six characters you have to keep track of. I kind of like that. It makes it easy to keep track of who's who. The relationships between each character uh, makes for easy following. And again, uh, as I've been saying the last couple of weeks, you know, this is another of those films that's very colorful. I'm really enjoying a lot of these Christmas-based horror films that are not afraid to throw some color in there. Like, aside from red, even though <laughs> we know there's the red, definitely. I will say this, though. This movie, there's two problems I kind of had with it. And first off, I feel it almost takes too long to have all the pieces come into place. The setup, while it's great, I will say there's a, it's a decent setup for this. The problem is it overstays its welcome. It's maybe about maybe 10, 15 minutes longer than it should be. I find we're, we're constantly learning and we're learning and we're learning and it's like, okay, but... Where's when does the payoff start? And I will say the twist at the end, okay, we do get a payoff. Almost seems too easy to figure out though. Like, and it's one of those where it's like Occam's razor, right? Like the easiest solution is usually the right one, kind of thing. It really felt like that. Uh I will say this though. Don't let those two minor grapes like hold you back from seeing it. I, I actually do recommend giving it a once over anyways. Um, 
Uh, I believe I watched it through Tubi, so it is available free to download and whatnot. Or not to download, but to stream uh, through Tubi. Obviously with ads, unless you have a really good ad blocker on your computer. Um, I can't complain about it, and like I said, it's got a killer poster. I really enjoyed the poster a lot. But again, not so sure there's rewatchability with this one. Um, Once you see it once, it's kind of done and over with. Then there's this other movie. This is this one took me by surprise a bit. I, I was actually kind of impressed with it. Secret Santa from 2018. Now, I mean, okay, I already had a little bit of skepticism going into this because it's written and directed by Adam Marcus. If you know the name, you know that Adam Marcus was also the man responsible for directing Jason Goes to Hell, which is probably, in my opinion, probably the weakest of the Friday the 13th films. That's not saying I don't enjoy certain parts of it, but it's still, it's not good. Everyone shits on Jason X, and I fucking love that movie, but Jason Goes to Hell, I have a real hard time watching that one. So I see the name Adam Marcus, and I'm like, "Mm, all right, well, I like the premise, though. I like the idea. I I didn't know a whole lot. Kind of went into it just knowing it was, you know, a family sitting down for Christmas dinner, and they play a game of Secret Santa. So this movie... (sighs) How to do this? At first, the movie sort of took a bit for me to digest and the reason why is because the characters like this family are some of the worst people imaginable they're wretched like they're fucking cretins and i didn't like any of them i think maybe like the one lead girl in the film which i didn't write down her name but (laughs) my bad but she might have and that's the thing though okay so that's the other thing i should point out about this film when you first get into it because these people are so wretched you don't remember their names you kind of don't want to all you want to do now is you just want to see how the fuck are they gonna die because they you you're so taken by how despicable they are that i mean i don't know i guess maybe it, it almost exposes like your own inner beast because you're you're sitting here watching it going, okay, when the fuck do you die? Like, I kind of want you to die and it really shouldn't be like that. But here's the thing. There's a reason for it. And that's the, that was the kicker. I did force myself to keep watching it because at, at one point I was like, I can't do this anymore. But I did keep watching it. When the movie finally progresses into... Okay, so they're having Christmas dinner, right? Tempers all of a sudden get heated. And the next thing you know, it's like full-on chaos and murder. That's when all of a sudden you start to get the pieces that put this story together. Was the payoff amazing? Mm. Okay, it was good. I will say that much. It was good. I wouldn't say it was great. The movie, though, is still a very interesting idea. The idea of... You know, a simple family get-together. But what happens if the truth comes out? How many times have you been at a Christmas dinner with your family or your relatives or whatever, and constantly inside, you're just burning? You're just like, ah, you know, I can't stand her over there. Why does she have to wear that dress? Why is he, he's sitting there drinking more than a fish and blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
we think it. We never say it out loud. Well, what were to happen if all of a sudden it's said out loud? That's what this movie does. And there's some really cool gore in it. I will say that. And a few... there. As the movie gets goes further on, there are actually a few really good laugh out loud moments. Like it's the end. It, the second half of the film is definitely better than the first half uh, because I'm kind of talking about it. If you watch it now, you kind of know what to expect. I went in completely blind, with the exception of Christmas dinner, family plays Secret Santa. That's all I knew. So when I'm watching the movie at first. I'm like, wow, Adam. Like seriously, you didn't do good with this one. By the end of the movie, I was like, okay, that wasn't horrible. I, I, again, I don't know that I would watch it again, but it was definitely interesting, definitely worth the view. And I did, when it was done, I didn't feel like I wasted my time. Let's put it that way. I'm going to talk about one more really quick that when I say really quick, I'm not telling you a whole lot about it because I may want to talk about this movie later on down the road, but I'm going to say that for a lurker's recommendation, because I have not done this in a while, and this movie needs to be recommended. If you have access to Tubi or Plex, it is on both, and I absolutely, 100% highly recommend you watch A Cadaver Christmas from 2011. Okay, so I want you to think about a movie like this, okay? So... Low-budget, grindhouse-like film. It's even got the filters that make it look like it's some old 1970s grindhouse film. Take that aspect. And then you put in this these ingredients. I want you to put in a little bit of Dead Alive, a little bit of Reanimator. Add some Shaun of the Dead to that with a Tales from the Crypt kind of twist and put it all in a Christmas setting. And that's this fucking movie. And I'm I, I swear to God the movie's a riot. You have to go in with the right mindset. Expect that it's going to look a little cheap and whatnot. There was no money put into this. Okay, this was. As a matter of fact, I believe so. The director is also the writer, the producer, and he's one of the actors in the movie. Like, okay, and it's a very tight knit cast. There's, I mean, with the exception of the zombies, you pretty much have six. Yeah, six cast members to really focus on. And I mean, you have a bartender, you have a drunk, you have a cop, a janitor, the janitor rules, by the way, you have a perp or like, you know, someone who's been arrested and a college grad security intern against a zombie invasion on like on Christmas night. That's all you need. Like, that's all you need to know. This movie is brilliantly done in the it's so bad it's great kind of way um (laughs) like i said and the only reason why i even knew about this one was i think it was about a year ago bloody disgusting had released an article uh it was like 120 different christmas horror films that you didn't know existed or whatever Or they were listing like all of them or whatever i forget what the actual article was but i remember the name a cadaver christmas and i was like all right, whatever. And then I saw that it was on both Plex and Tubi, and I'm like, all right, well, shit, I have easy access to it. I might as well, you know, give it a shot, whatever. The movie, for me, personally, I maybe it's my sense of humor or whatnot, but I thought it was hilarious. It was so hilarious that <laughs> as soon as the movie was done, I'm on the internet looking for a DVD or a Blu-ray release because this one needed to be in the physical media library. 
I mean, that's how great this one. And the movie is now also going to be an annual Axmas movie for me. Like, every year I will watch this movie from now on. I'm probably going to even watch it again this year before Christmas is even over. And if I ever really need to laugh a lot, I may watch it in the middle of fucking July and call it a Christmas in July movie. Because this movie, for being so low budget and just... Something that, like, the poster artwork, by the way, is fucking amazing. Oh, it's wonderful. But, <laughs> again, the poster always pulling me in. But, um, you know, just for something that really shouldn't have been that, like, it's one of those, this shouldn't be this good, but I can't stop watching and I'm loving what I'm seeing. That was, that was this one. So, definitely, definitely, I recommend it. I think you definitely have to see this one if you haven't already. If you have already, maybe you agree with me or disagree with me. Always feel free to tell me if you want. But yeah, that's uh, Lurker's recommendation before we now get into our big movie of the week. And this is a movie that not so much on the whole trivia thing. Um, this is a, this week's review is actually going to be a lot of me interjecting my opinions and my thoughts and whatnot but at the same time it's a movie that is definitely worth talking about it was a hidden obscure flick up until about maybe what 2018 so three years ago and i'll tell you again this is another film that is on my annual to watch list i i have to see this one every year Trailer time out. And yes, there is actually an English-speaking trailer, kids, so don't worry. I'm not going to troll you with the French trailer, even though I had considered it. But yeah, we'll do the trailer time out. When we return, we are going to head off to France to a magical castle. And we are going to have some fun fighting a killer Santa Claus in... Uh, what title do I want to go with this time? Let's say, uh, Game Over. <laughs> no, um, Deadly Games. After the break. He's nine years old. His name is Thomas. He's a little genius. He believes in Father Christmas. His two favorite pastimes... Computers and superheroes. December 24th, midnight. Hidden under the dining room table, Thomas waits for Father Christmas. But what he does not know is that he is about to experience the most frightening night in his entire life. Finally met his match. Wanted Mr. Xmas. You know, I really should have trolled you guys and played the French version of the trailer instead of the English one. Even though I said I did find the English version. I should have still trolled you. It would have been funny. Or not. It might have been a deadly game for me. Oh, I know. Such a bad joke. Okay, so... 
Normally I start off and I tell you guys what the release date was. Well, I have to do something before I get to that. And that is, is that this movie has a lot of different names it's known by. So I've been calling it Deadly Games. Some of you may know it as 3615 Code Père Noël, which is its actual French title. It's the title it was released in the theaters by. Then there's also Dial Code Père Noël. That's another name it's known by. Another name it's known by is Game Over. And yet, okay, the one that's kind of... I'm like, all right, whatever, I guess. But it seems like it's kind of hokey. There's another one, another title it's known by is Hide and Freak. I felt that Deadly Games was the easiest one to roll off the tongue. And sometimes my tongue does get tied. So it was like, you know what? Go with Deadly Games. It's what I know it by. It's it Actually, I believe that's the title it's going by on Shudder right now. So it's like, just stick with Deadly Games from 1989. And I say in 1989, um, it was, it's got many release dates actually. So in France, uh, the first time it was ever seen on a theater screen was March 18th, 1989. And it was at some film festival in France. Then it had another film festival uh, viewing January 13th, 1990. It's wide release in France was actually January 17th of 1990. It was released in the United States 2018 at the Fantastic Fest. Then it had a lim limited theatrical release December 17th, 2018. December 2nd, 2019, it's released digitally, and that was through Shudder. It was a Shudder exclusive and then October 27th of 2020, the film was released in a 4K Blu-ray, two-disc set through Vinegar Syndrome. That, I actually have that. Um, because this movie, uh, much like I was talking about A Cadaver Christmas, this is one that needed to be in the physical media library. So, yeah, so I have this. Um, the movie was written and directed by filmmaker and author Rene Manzour. Uh, he's done a bit of work in the French market, uh, but he also did some work on TV, like American TV series like uh, Highlander, The Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, The Adventures of Young Indiana Jones, and The Hitchhiker. Now, his first film was actually a French film called The Passage, um, a film about a it's about a filmmaker working on an animated feature that would speak out against violence and then he suddenly killed in an accident and he comes around after death only to face death itself who wants to strike a bargain with him um, after he did that film he did Deadly Games and then because of those two films it caught the attention of two really big American filmmakers George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. And that's what led to him working on the Indiana Jones series episodes. Um, and on top of that, later on in his career, he would also start, like like I said, he was an author. He also wrote uh, a couple few bestseller books in the French book market. So he's kept busy. He's, he does a lot of writing and whatnot. Um, his filmography, like it, his resume is not... 
overly crowded. He's done a lot of he's done some work, definitely, but because he also does right like like he's because he's also an author, he sometimes does that and then other times he's doing writing and directing in film. So he's a busy man, busy man. And there's more about him as we go on through this. Like there's a lot of different tie-ins and whatnot. So the producers for this were Jean-Luc Defay and Ziad El Khoury, along with Francis Lalane and Charles de Ferrell. Um, Francis, Francis Lalane, is actually Rene's brother. So Rene Manzur and Francis are brothers. That's not the only connection. There's more. Uh, cinematography is by Michel Gaffier. He was an assistant cameraman in the mid to late 70s, and then he would go on to do film as a cinematographer. Um, Deadly Games, though, would be his only feature-length film in that role. Like, um, It's the only movie he did. After that, he did one short film in 1995, but um, after 95, he kind of just left filmmaking altogether. There, he did, that one short film he did was his last. Now, the interesting thing about this is that Vinegar Syndrome, uh, their Blu-ray, when they released it, they list Pal Guillier as, I, I think I said his name right, uh, as the cinematographer. However, he wasn't. He was responsible for the lighting and electrical work. He was the gaffer. Uh, he was not the cinematographer, which is weird because the Blu-ray, when you're reading the back of the, the artwork, it says Pal Guillier was cinematographer, but no, it was Michel Gaffier. Uh, special effects by Michel Otherman, and this was his only film. Uh, a shame, because some of the special effects, there's, while not a lot, there's one scene that actually, um, very disturbing, and looked almost lifelike. I mean, you know it's not, but it was rather disturbing. I'll be talking about that in a bit. Uh, music by Jean Vialek. Jean Felix Lalane. Uh, he is also Rene's brother. Um, and he's also worked on other uh, films that his brother did. He worked on The Passage. He worked on A Witch's Way of Love and Labyrinth. Not that Labyrinth. If you're thinking of David Bowie and Jennifer Connelly, no, not that one. Uh, Rene uh, Manzur did a film in 2003 that was called Labyrinth. That's the one that Jean Felix worked on. Uh, the soundtrack has been released on vinyl. It's actually a really cool record. It's like half green, half red. Um, and it was released uh, by Ship to Shore uh, Fonico and Mondo Records. Uh, I actually just got that this year, and I'll tell you, I've played that soundtrack a few times already. I love it. It can also be streamed through digital apps like Spotify. Um, I think Amazon Music has it as well, although I'm not 100% sure on that. Uh, good luck finding it on YouTube. It's a very tricky soundtrack to find, but it is on Spotify, the full thing. So if you want to check it out, feel free to do so. Uh, along with uh, Jean-Felix doing the score for the film, he also wrote a song in which Bonnie Tyler was brought on to do the vocals. Uh, it's the Christmas song that's... Uh, that's used in this film. Basically, the song is called Merry Christmas. So, uh, which, if you actually listen to the words, is not a very merry song at all. <laughs> um, moving on to our starring cast. 
here's the cast the cast okay so i made this really simple because it's simple on me there's six people i'm talking about that's it um they're pretty much the six characters you need to know uh everybody else is very minor in in the film but these six there could have been seven but i don't know the dog's name um and i know it's somewhere in the credits somewhere i couldn't find out i was like "Ah, whatever i know i read it though in the credits so I didn't get the dog's name. We'll start, though, with Brigitte Fossey. Uh, she plays Julie de Fremont. Or Fremont. Um, she was a well-known French actress when this movie... She was probably the top billing for this film. Um, by the time she did uh, Deadly Games, she had already had 50-plus acting credits to her name. And she started acting at the age of six in 1952 with a film known as Forbidden Games. Uh, so like I said, you know, she had been around for several years. This movie came out in 1989. So you're looking at what, uh, 37 years later? Like she'd been around and done a lot of acting. Very famous in the French regions, obviously. We didn't know her so well over here, but I will say she's solid in this movie. Louis de Cru, as they list him as Pappy, he's the grandfather. He's 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 uh, little boy's uh, little boy in this film. It's his grandfather. Louis only had eighteen acting credits to his resume, though, and yet um, his his acting dated as far back as nineteen thirty eight. So it's kind of weird. I guess he he was known for probably a lot of stage work is what I'm assuming. I couldn't find a whole lot on him, but I'm pretty sure he did a lot of stage work because normally when you have an actor that their career spans that long, it's a lot of stage work in between. Um, he also did work as a writer and a composer for... Uh, he was a composer for one TV movie um, in France. And then, sadly, he passed away three years after the French release of this film. So he passed away in 1992. Uh, But at least he was able to, you know, sort of see it, you know, come to fruition. As much as, if you look at on the grand scale of, of films, Deadly Games is sort of considered a failure in 1989. Obviously, it's like being regenerated now kind of thing, but... um Back then, yeah, this this film, uh, unfortunately, really went under the radar, and it's a real shame, especially when I start talking about this next actor, uh, Patrick Florsheim. Florsheim, I think is how you pronounce his name. He is our Santa Claus. He is our uh, Père Noël. Um, he's actually done some pretty interesting work uh, that, you know, we would know. I uh, did TV movies a lot before doing this movie, and then he was also known, no, known, uh, He was known for his voice acting career. Uh, for those of you familiar with Asterix the Gaul, which was a comic strip that was also uh, done into uh, animated films and whatnot, he did voice acting in two of the films: Asterix versus Caesar and Asterix in Britain. Uh, he also worked again with Rene Manzur on a 1992 episode of the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. And then he worked again with Rene Manzur on A Witch's Way of Love. So he had worked with him a couple times. He also did the French voice acting for various video games. And video games that I'm talking about are like Kingdom Hearts 2, uh, Far Cry 2. Uh, he worked on a game called Jack the Ripper. 
the the sad thing about Patrick was he passed away in 2016, two years before this movie had its, you know, hit re- regeneration or revival or whatever you want to call it. Um, so he didn't get to see the movie get the love it actually deserved because it is getting a lot of that love now. So that it, it's a shame. And I mean, his Santa Claus in this movie is, uh, very interesting. I'll talk more about it in a bit. I just, he's, he's definitely, he might actually be the star of the film. If it, if not for, the performance of our little young actor, Elaine Lalane, who was credited as Elaine Moussi. He is also the son of Rene Mansour. So you have Rene working with his two brothers, and you have him working with his son in this movie. Um, uh, Elaine also uh, was in both of his father's films, The Passage, and he was in Deadly Games. After he did Deadly Games, um, years would go on, he got into the world of visual effects. Now, here's the interesting thing. When I start naming these titles, like these are big name movies that this little boy was a part of as he became an adult. We're talking movies like The Dark Knight. We're talking Splice. We're talking Avatar, um, Gravity, Edge of Tomorrow. Uh, San Andreas, The Revenant, Independence Day Resurgence. I know, okay, a lot of people didn't like that one, but whatever. Special effects nonetheless. Uh, Slender Man, X-Men Dark Phoenix. Yes, I know, another movie not too many people like, but hey, special effects. <laughs> uh, he's recently worked on two big ones, Black Widow and Suicide Squad. The James Gunn Suicide Squad. So, I mean, his... He's been keeping busy, uh, may not be acting anymore, but definitely working on some big titles. Two credits left to go, guys. Uh, okay. I will really try to say this right. Francois-Eric Gendron, Gendron. I butchered his last name, I apologize, as Roland. Um, 112 acting credits, almost all of which were French films and TV shows. Although he did do an episode of Murder, She Wrote with Angela Lansbury. That was kind of cool. And he was in the same episode as Patrick uh, of the TV show, The Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. That was directed by Rene Manzur. Finally, Stéphane Legros as Pilou. Eight acting credits, all French. And then he dipped out of acting altogether. The runtime is an hour and 32 minutes long. It is an unrated film. Though there are a few scenes of violence, mild language, frightening and intense scenes, and I will add one myself. There is a very disturbing scene that even when I show this movie to my friends, I warn them the scene is coming because it brutalized me when I saw it. Uh, the budget and profits for this are unknown, but again, the thing is, is that when this movie came out, it was basically considered a failure. So, shame, because this movie would go on to do something that, unfortunately, it didn't get the credit for. I'll explain that in a bit. 
The synopsis for this film is as follows. Young Tomas is obsessed with action movies and video games. So much so that when his mother is out, he delights in turning the sprawling mansion where he and his invalid grandfather live into a makeshift battleground, concocting and setting elaborate traps. Home alone, grandfather aside, on Christmas Eve, Tomas is soon faced with an unexpected and very unwelcome guest, a department store Santa Claus, who is, in fact, a deranged maniac on the loose. Putting his skills into action, Tomas begins an all-out assault against the murderous Saint Nick rather than risking his Christmas turning into something closer to Halloween. And for the segment now, I have called this one, it's my own personal spin on this one, does John Hughes have some fucking explaining to do? Which warrants the question. Okay, so if you've seen this movie you probably know some of the controversy that comes with it because the question that has been thrown out there multiple times in the last several years, did this movie inspire Home Alone? Is Kevin McAllister a cheap knockoff of, in my opinion, a better character in Tomas? Should John Hughes have given credit where credit was due? Because here's the thing. Okay, so according to John Hughes... He never knew this movie existed. That's interesting. I don't know if we believe him. Because, here's the problem. Considering that at the time this movie was in the theaters, he was in Europe. But he claims that the idea of Home Alone came from the... He was preparing for a vacation. This European vacation, I might add. And that while he was preparing and he was trying to make sure he didn't forget anything, he thought to himself, what if I forgot my kids? And supposedly, that was the birth of Home Alone. That before he even got on the plane to go to Europe, he already had the idea for Home Alone. Now, that's what he's claiming. It's also, I I, I might add, here's something just to think about, okay? So, he goes to Europe at the time this movie's in the theaters. And isn't it convenient that, and we've all seen Home Alone, I know that, so I'm not even worried about spoilers for that one. Isn't it fucking convenient that the family in Home Alone went to Paris fucking France like for a vacation and Deadly Games is a French film? Come on, man. Like seriously. John Hughes, I I don't even have a problem with this. It, all John Hughes had to do was say, "You know what? There was this cool movie that I saw in Europe. I knew about it. I thought it would be cool. I made an American spin on it." And credit Renee Monzor for it. Here's the funny thing. So, okay, so this movie comes out in 1989. The filming for Home Alone started in February of 1990, 11 months after Deadly Games had been seen in France. Again, and and the movie came out, what, in November of 1990? So you filmed in February. Filming went from February to May. I remember that much. And then it was released in November. But it still came out after Deadly Games. And supposedly, according to him, he didn't start writing the script for Home Alone until he was going on this vacation because of his idea. So the writing process started at the time this movie came out. (laughs) 
the filming started after the movie came out and was released 16 or was it 16 months no hold on 18 months after the uh, initial release of this movie Rene Manzur threatened 20th Century Fox and John Hughes that he was ready to sue them for plagiarism. I wish he had. But anyways, he backed off and opted out of it. The reason why? He backed off because he said more or less that if he, he had gone after them for ripping off his idea, he knew his career would be over and no one... He know, like he, he, The thing is, is he knows that no one is allowed to go after the Hollywood favorites. They're always protected, and he knew that, and he knew his career would fucking plummet if he went after John Hughes, so he backed off. I kind of wish he hadn't. I wish he would have made John Hughes squirm in his seat a little bit, because people are still asking Hughes even to this day, did you rip off Deadly Games? And he keeps claiming, no, he didn't. Whatever. Uh, Hughes, unfortunately, I I don't want to say unfortunately. You know what? I need to also clarify that I don't hate the Home Alone movies. As a matter of fact, I... I really enjoy the first two. Um, anything after I, the part six, they're at part six. Uh, anything after the second one, I can't deal with. But the first two, I will say, are awesome. But the the thing is, is that John Hughes, he's got the love and the respect of Hollywood and Western audiences. Even if Manzur had gone through with his lawsuit, and even if he had won, he would have been driven out of the business. So he just, I get why he opted out of it. He wanted, I mean, he's still working today. Because he shut his mouth. It's one of those deals where it's like, you know you're not going to win. So, And like I said, even if he did win, it's still a loss because he's going to get driven out of Hollywood and he knew that. Um, Does he have a legitimate claim? I mean, let's look at the storylines. There's definitely a lot of similarities between the two films. First off, you have a child left alone at home on Christmas. Now, okay, so some people might say, well, the grandfather is with Tomas where Kevin McAllister was completely by himself. But Kevin McAllister also had the neighbor, the the shovel, the, the, what, was it, what, what was it? Old man, ah, um, oh, fuck, I don't even remember. Um, <laughs> I just watched it the other day. Um, old man Marley, that's it, there we go. Uh, the guy with, supposedly, Buzz says that he's putting, like, dead bodies in the salt and whatnot. Okay, Ke- Kevin's kind of got that. I mean, not necessarily... To the extent of he's there in the same house with him, but even though Tomas's grandfather is in the house with him, he's he's blind as a bat, he's diabetic, and he's not that I want to be mean, but he's he's on his last leg and he knows it. Like I mean, so he's kind of not there, you know. So you have a child left alone at home on Christmas in both films. You have an intruder in Home Alone. You have two. In this, you have one uh, with not-so-nice intentions. You have a child that forms booby traps and gadgets to thwart off his assailants in both films. A mother who is desperately trying to get home after she realizes her son is home alone and that there could be some perilous consequences should she not get home on time in both films. In the end, the end of the film, both times, the child is successful in defending his home. It, with Home Alone, he gets rid of the wet bandits. Uh, yeah, he mocks them. He beats the shit out of them. He has fun with it. In this one, well, not so much that Tomas has fun with it, but he has now protected his grandfather. He's made sure his grandfather's safe. He's protected his home. And both movies had Christmas songs created specifically for their presentation. 
in Home Alone, there was the John Williams score, but he also had, oh, I don't even remember what that song was called, but there was the, the Home Alone song. And then for this one, Bonnie Tyler is brought in to sing the song Merry Christmas. But then there's the differences. And the differences are what, for me, I prefer Deadly Games over Home Alone more for. Because the biggest one is that it's, it's Thomas and Kevin. Thomas is way more likable, believable, and fleshed out. Kevin McAllister, not so much. Uh, it, and, and with Tomas, or Thomas, at his core, he's still a child. He's not a malicious little brat who acts unbelievably like Kevin McAllister did. Kevin McAllister, I mean, honestly, if you really break down the Home Alone movie, right? He sees these two thieves are trying to break into his house. He calls the cops. This all ends. I mean, and not to mention, he realizes his family's gone. I mean, okay, yeah, I get the whole idea. He wanted his family gone. But then he starts to realize he doesn't. Again, calls the cops. They start looking for his parents. You know what I mean? Like, it all ends with a few phone calls. But instead, Kevin McAllister goes through this whole, uh, do you want more? And he practically murders them with like fucking paint cans and shit like that. Where with Thomas in, in Deadly Games, he does try to get help. He, he, he tries to use the phones when the phone doesn't work. He uses his computer and tries to set off, send off messages. Both uh, Pilou and Roland get, you know, pr- paper printouts, <laughs> dot matrix printers. But anyways, they get... Uh, you know, printer uh, like printouts saying I'm being attacked by Santa. Please come help. Um, he does try to get for his, you know, to get um, in touch with his mother. And then there's the scenes also like when he's scared, when he's terrified, he's he's out on the roof and he's trying to hide from Santa Claus and whatnot. And he's crying out for his mother. He's scared. He's still a child. Yeah, he's got this superior IQ, and they make point of that. They they do make a, a point of like he programs his own video games, he he creates his own security service in his in his home and whatnot. I mean, he is a brilliant kid, yes, but he still has innocence and he still has a passion for Christmas and Père Noël or Santa or whatever. Like to the point where he's he's talking with his mother about how Pilou says there's no Santa, and he 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 says. He says it's his parents, and she cleverly, like, I mean, this is a great, not only a great performance by Bridget Fossey, but it was just, it was so cleverly written in how she says, well, yeah, Santa doesn't exist for Pilu because he's a bad kid. He doesn't help his parents. He doesn't help around the house. He's lazy, and he's obnoxious, so his parents have to buy his gifts for him because Santa's not coming to his house. You, on the other hand, you're a good kid. You help out. You you help out with your grandfather. You clean up and stuff. That's why Santa comes to you. And Thomas is like, hey, that makes sense. But then he's still pondering it. He's still you know, beating himself over the head on it and whatnot. He's a kid. Even though, yeah, he's brilliant as fuck, he's still a kid. And where... With the whole Kevin McAllister thing, they made him that he was basically fearless. It was like, I mean, okay, yeah, he has this few moments where, like, you know, he's like, Whoa! and he does that stupid scream thing that's, like, just annoying as shit. But, <laughs> but I mean, this movie, like, it just, I love that even though they, they make Thomas out to be very intelligent and whatnot, he's still at his core, like, 
a kid. Now, the, another difference between these two movies, obviously, is the homes. However, I will say the McAllister home is just a little too big for Peter McAllister and his wife and two kids being Buzz and fucking uh, Kevin. So, again, big home versus big home. Um, how much was copied off of this movie? The thing is, is that with Deadly Games, he basically lives in a castle. It's kind of fucking cool, but uh, obviously a little bit unbelievable. But here's the thing. There is a conversation between Thomas and his grandfather in which they find this like child cave, right? And you come to find out like there's all these toys and stuff. And you find out that the ha- the house has been in the family for generations, you know? Thomas even says, like, these toys in this room, that this hidden room that mother doesn't know about and whatnot, he's like, these toys, they, you know, they were my father's and they were my father's father's and his father's father's, and eventually they'll be mine. Meaning that, okay, we do find out through conversation his father passed away. Well, his mother right now has rights to the home. But when she passes on or she decides to hand the house off to Thomas, he will then inherit the house and inherit all the toys in that room, which is why he says, one day these toys will be mine. Um, The hidden rooms and the layout of the house, I will admit, get confusing as fuck at times. (laughs) There's even one room where it's like, it's almost like it's a maze or something, and it's like, what is this, Squid Games all over again? Like, But again, predating Squid Games. but, uh, (laughs) But the thing is, is that It's the whole big home versus big home. So again, more similarities, a little too coincidental there, Mr. Hughes. And then there's the storyline of Thomas. Okay, so the whole reason this whole thing happens, because a kid being innocent on Christmas Eve wants to stay up and see Santa. That's what this is all about. First, he talks to Santa through this Minitel service, which is basically the internet before the internet existed. And 3615 dial code paranoel so how this worked was you dial in 3615 and then you would do a search for paranoel and it would link you to another account on the minitel service in which you could talk to people it was sort of like a like an icq kind of database thing so that's how that worked he ended up he talked to quote unquote santa on the minitel and he wants to believe that Santa's real. Now, he didn't realize that Santa was this kook on the other end of the line who then ends up getting a job working for his mother. There's a lot of plot conveniences. I get this. But the kook ends up working for, you know, uh, Thomas's mother, who is the uh, head CEO of Le Printemps, which is like this big toy store. And she wants to have this big Christmas Eve to-do thing and whatnot. So she hires this Santa on only for Santa to go and smack some fucking kid in the head and basically lose his job. Um, So yeah, and so that guy ends up going to Thomas's house where Thomas is, he's got this whole security armband thing. He's got all these cameras hooked up. He's going to see Santa and this guy shows up. And that's when we get a moment. There's a moment in this film. Obviously, I've spoiled so much. I'm not. I'm definitely not holding back on this. Probably one of the hardest scenes for me to watch in a movie because, like I said, special effects may not be a lot in this film, but there was one that was done actually quite well. Now, I mean, if you watch really closely, you can see how it was done. 
But when you're not expecting to see what you see and all of a sudden it happens, yes, the dog is killed on screen. Now, yeah, it, the dog didn't really die. JR lives. Uh, but this is a lovable, adorable dog that, like, we get a, it, you get about, what, 20 minutes to half hour set up to see how much, you know, Thomas and JR are, like, they're best friends, right? And you see Santa take, like, a cake serving knife. And just gouge that fucking dog right in the neck. And I'll tell you, it was first time I saw it, I was fucking disturbed. I was like, I don't know if I can finish this movie, dudes. Um, I mean, you know the dog isn't harmed. There's even a, a thing at the you know, a disclaimer at the end of the film in the credits that says no animals were harmed during the filming of this movie and blah blah blah. But I will say this putting myself in Thomas's position, if I saw that, if someone killed my dog right in front of my fucking eyes, that would destroy the shit out of me. So, and then from there, you go on with this long game of cat and mouse. I mean, in this big enchanted castle-like mansion. And the thing is, is like the whole cat and mouse thing, this is how, this is how I felt the original Halloween was done. You know, what with Michael Myers playing with his prey he didn't just fucking attack and that's what they do with this they do it very well uh which does lead to a very cool confrontation between thomas and his killer like this killer santa claus and whatnot including a line which really kind of throws the whole thing off for you because you kind of think okay this this santa claus guy he's a fucking maniac he's a lunatic he's a killer but then he finally catches thomas and he says okay now I'll hide and you find me. And you start to realize, you're like, wait a minute. Is this just, is this dude just playing games? Like, is he really got the mind of a child? He just doesn't realize he's violent as fucking killing everybody. Like, it's very interesting the way it's done. And it's, just, it's, I know I'm going to get to something in a second, which I'm already laughing about because it's something that everybody talks about with this movie. But the thing is, is that when I when I watch this movie and I see, you know, it, that line when he's like, okay, you, you go hide now, or no, sorry, I'll go hide now and you find me. It's like, this dude doesn't even realize, like, he's got like a mentality that's the same level as a 10-year-old boy, which is what Thomas was when he filmed this. He was 10 years old. So it's like you have two minds that are almost on the same equivalent level, except one is a super genius and one is just maniacal. Um, but anyways, yeah, Elaine Moussi, also known as Elaine Lalane, uh, he was 10 when he filmed this. Uh, <laughs> the thing is, is that it what always makes me laugh. And when I even introduce this movie to my friends, it's the first thing they highlight he has a distinctive physical trait in this film. It's a fucking mullet. And I mean, it is a fine mullet. It is definitely the mullet of mullets. I mean, we it's the true definition of business in the front and all party in the back. It's fucking hilarious. And then on top of that, like the opening scenes with Thomas. And this is when we find out this kid loves his action movies. He loves his war films and whatnot. They have a whole like... 10 years old, keep this in mind, 10 years old, and they got this whole, it's like a French knockoff of Eye of the Tiger playing, and he's like working out, 
and then he's greasing up his arms and his chest and then he puts war paint on and it's like the start of this movie you're like what am i in for like this is fucking weird but it's (laughs) it's to highlight the fact that he grew up with the same action films we did the stallones the schwarzenegger films the chuck norris's and all that shit He's totally into that. He is also into horror, though. It has been pointed out that in his room there are posters of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 and Critters. Um, But he does a wonderful... For 10 years old, he does a wonderful job hamming up those shots in the beginning. And then, of course, we start to see, you know, the bonds between him and his grandfather and him and JR and whatnot. Um, He's such a great young hero, but what what really stands out about and he does a very good job of portraying this on the screen without even saying a word is by the end of the film you know in your heart that this poor kid with all he's been through is seriously and emotionally scarred by everything that has happened this christmas eve and not to mention he feels guilty he thinks he just killed santa claus because the uh, spoiler, Santa dies. Um, but he thinks he killed Santa Claus. He feels fucking horrible about this. Like, think of the weight on his shoulders as he's thinking, I just killed Santa Claus for the whole world. I literally took him out of this world. Um, because in his mind, that's what he did. Uh, not to mention, witnessed his dog die. He almost witnessed his grandfather die. Uh, he's had Santa chasing him around the house trying to kill him. Um, I mean, he's, he's emotionally, mentally destroyed. And then you take home alone where Kevin McAllister basically walked away from his events. Like it was another day in kindergarten. Like, oh, well, yeah, you know, oh, and then, Hey, at the end of the movie, we'll look out the window and we'll see old man Marley happy with his family. Yay. It's all happy and great. And then next year I'm going to go to New York and I'm going to act like nothing went wrong. Um, no, this movie, this movie shows you that the stakes were high and that Thomas is fucked up at the end of this movie. And I love it for it. I also love the performance of Louis DeCruy as the grandfather. He's adorable and lovable. And he really gives off a really great performance here. Again, only 18 acting credits on film, but I, I, I have to believe that he did some stage work because there's no way he just, well, maybe he was a natural, but, the chemistry between him and Elaine was um is amazing. It was just it's so they work so well off each other, and you almost feel like he is the great like he's Elaine's grandfather. Like you really do feel it. They they come off as a loving grandson and grandfather, and it, it works. But I would be remiss if I didn't highlight the amazing show that is put on by Patrick Florsheim. It's both creepy and almost emotionless. At the same time. And then other times in the film, it's like, it's almost like he's not even aware of just what it is he's doing. Uh, almost childlike. Like I said, like he, he, it's almost as if to him, it's all a game. He's unaware that he's doing wrong. Uh, there's times in this movie that he comes off malicious and hellbent on destroying this family's Christmas Eve. The way he taunts thomas the way he stalks him he plays with him like i said a perfect comparison is michael myers in the original 1978 halloween um the biggest difference between the two is that patrick's character of santa talks 
where Michael Myers didn't talk. But other than that, like physically, the and like the way he he walks and his, his like stalking of Thomas is it's awesome. It is so well done, and probably and you know I, I have my favorites of Santa Clauses and whatnot, but this one he's up there. He's definitely up there. And I mean, this is a movie, like I said, I, I'm, I'm like most people on the Western side of the world where we just discovered this movie, you know, in the, within the last five years. I love this movie. I will also say that one thing about this movie, there is absolutely no question that this is a Christmas movie. It's not like the advent calendar where it's like you have one Christmas tree and, you know, a mention of Christmas. No. It's a horror action film, definitely, but it's a Christmas movie, and the stakes in this are higher than the gross profits of Home Alone. Like, and I'm not kidding. Like, it, this is a, a ferocious film, especially in the eyes of a child. And I think that's the thing too. Some people might walk away from this going, "Well, it wasn't that bad." Put yourself in that child's position, and then watch this movie. Think about what he's seeing and what he feels like. Um, but again. Not Die Hard. It's, there's no debate here. There's no... This is a Christmas movie. And I will say that the reason why I bring up Die Hard is because there's even a point in this film where I swear there's a nod to John McClane and the Die Hard movie, especially the, the first one. Because at one, right after one of the alterca- uh, altercations between Thomas and Santa, um, Santa ends up, he cuts Thomas's leg. And he's been slashed and he's hobbling around the house. It ends up that when Thomas finally realizes, okay, I'm I'm definitely taking this shit to you. And he even gets on the PA and he goes, look, you killed my dog. You've tried to hurt me. You've scared my grandfather. Now you're going to fucking suffer. (laughs) And he's like, you can tell he's getting pissed now. But he builds this homemade splint out of like, like a chair, I think, or something like that. And it just, it, it very reminiscent of... Uh, when John McClane is in the Nakatomi building and he's they've shot out all the glass and his foot is all cut open and he's hobbling. It reminds me of that. It reminds me of like it, like when John McClane is finally pushed to his, the, the brink and he's like, that's it. I Now you're going down. Like there's no, I'm not doing this diplomatically and I'm not going to be nice to you. You're going fucking down. That's almost what I got a feeling with this. Um, and I got to say, like the direction of Rene Manzur... Yes, maybe it was easy. He's directing his own son and whatnot, but his direction is great in this movie. Like, it's so well done. The cinematography makes this movie look magical and eerie and gorgeous all in the same frame. It, it's just, it's so well done. And then there's the music, of course, the music by uh, Jean Felix. It's soft at times, industrial at others. Like, it's just, it's a cool score. Like, and. When I got the the vinyl record, like when I was listening to it, it's just it. The first track on it is like this hard industrial pumping song, and then there's this soft Christmas like music and what. And it's it's a fucking cool score that definitely complements the film very well. And I'm not alone here. Like most people who have reviewed this movie over the past couple of years have given this movie nothing but praise. Uh, John Squires of Bloody Disgusting. Bloody Disgusting I'm giving credit for for introducing me to this film because it's they don't write that article. I may have... 
obviously I probably would have discovered it on Shutter, but they wrote the article before then, and when it came to Shutter, I was like, I have to watch this. John Squires basically said in a glowing review, um, Deadly Games doesn't shy away from going to nightmarish places, but it's also got that holiday warmth you just love to see in Christmas movies. And absolutely, it's a ferocious and dark film, and at the same time, there's just that element of Christmas and innocence and, you know, the idea of, like even within The Mother, The Mother is... Julie's not a big part of the story so much like in terms of being with Tomas, but she wants to give her kid the best Christmas ever. She even says at one point, look, at 11 years old, I still believed in Santa Claus. I want him to still believe in Santa Claus because I want him to still be a child and not. And and she credits the fact that, you know, her son is, has this massive IQ, but I want him to still be a child. I don't want to rip that innocence away from him at like, you know, too soon. So yes, absolutely goes to nightmarish places, but it's also got warmth like a Christmas movie. Jason Adams of JoeBlow.com. He basically had said Thomas may be a badass Rambo Jr. Yes, definitely. <laughs> it's a nice uh, comparison. With some of the tricks up his sleeve, but the movie never lets you forget that he's also a child suffering real injuries and crying for his mom. It's a brutal but unique spin to this kind of horror flick, one that you can't believe the filmmakers actually went for. And that's the thing. This was done before Home Alone, so you can't even say that you know the French copied off of John Hughes' great idea. No, this one was around before. The podcast zero rating. I know I've talked a lot this episode. So you're probably like, is he getting to it? Come on, I gotta go Christmas shopping, you know? I'm gonna preface my rating by saying this. I do love the first two Home Alone films. I know it probably sounds like I've come off pretty harsh. Um, I think it's just more the fact I really wish John Hughes would have just credited this movie, given it its nod, let it have its day. It's really a shame when you have a director, especially a director and a writer of that stature, that basically takes someone else's idea and then doesn't, you know, own up to it. It's kind of shitty on his part. Maybe I'm even wrong. Maybe he honestly didn't know this movie existed. But when you really break down both films, there are just too many, too many coincidences. The thing is, is that. As much as I love those two Home Alone films, I'm going to say move over, McAllister, because this is the movie I want. It's gorgeous. It's magical. Brutal and heartbreaking. All at once. Uh, Not only do we see a boy who is clearly a child, but we also see a child who has been exposed to some holy terror. He's been exposed to an intruder. We see him witness his own dog's murder, um, and he loses his innocence, and he doesn't walk away from it and do it again the next year in New York City. No, he. we see a, a, a child who, in the beginning of this film, is happy, he's full of glee, he's excited, it's Christmas Eve and Santa's coming, and by the end of this movie, he's destroyed. He is destroyed. I love this movie. I love it. It's a harsh movie, but I do love it. Uh, Much like everyone else, like I said, I only discovered it a few years ago myself. 
but it only took one viewing for me to know that I had to own this movie. Like I said, I own the 4K Blu-ray and I own the vinyl soundtrack. It is that good of a movie. And on top of that, so I have to say this. I'm going to put this out there. I have other favorite Santa Claus representations in other films. Okay, and I'm going to list a few of them in a second. But I have to say, Patrick Florsheim definitely needs to get added to the top of that class as well. That is a class that includes Brandon Maggart from Christmas Evil, Bill Goldberg from Santa Slay. Yeah, I know, absurd as fuck. But I love Bill Goldberg as Santa Claus. And I, I will admit, I'm not a Goldberg fan. Even when he was a wrestler, I didn't care for him. But his Santa Claus was hilarious. David Huddleston. For those of you who don't know, there's a movie that came out, I believe it was 85 or 86, called Santa Claus the Movie. David Huddleston plays Santa Claus in that movie, and he does it brilliantly. As a matter of fact, probably the most traditional Santa Claus that I like, um, (laughs) because most of them are like, you know, killer Santa Clauses and whatnot. But I do like his portrayal of Santa. I actually think it's one of the best. Some people like Tim Allen and some people, uh, oh shit, what's the other, uh, Edmund Gwynn and stuff like that. They're all great. Don't get me wrong. They, they all do their own thing. It's just, it's not really my type of movie. So I don't really lean towards it. Santa Claus, the movie is sort of a guilty pleasure because I grew up with it as a kid. It was, it, Art Carney also was Santa Claus in the movie The Night They Saved Christmas with Jacqueline Smith, I believe, was also in it, and Paul Williams. <laughs> Not me, but another Paul Williams was in that. And I'm really showing my age right now because I saw that the year it debuted. But, um, yeah, uh, there's been different Santa Clauses, but David Huddleston is probably my favorite traditional Santa Claus. Uh, voice acting, Bob Holt did Santa Claus in The Bear Who Slept Through Christmas. And it's a very minor role. He's not in it long. Pretty much the end of the the short film, it's, uh, I want to say it's like 27 minutes long or whatever. For TV, I know they edited it a bit back in the day. But um, The Bear Who Slept Through Christmas was a childhood favorite of mine. And I always remember the end with Santa Claus and... Bob Holt voiced him, and it just always stuck with me. And like I said, very small role. He wasn't in it very long at all. I will also throw one more out there, because I have to. Larry Drake. And you're like, he played Santa? Yes, he did. For those of you who know, obviously, from the Tales from the Crypt episode and all through the house. And yeah, that was Larry Drake. And the first time I saw that episode, I had no fucking clue. I saw his name in the opening credits, and I was like, where? Where was Larry Drake the whole episode? And then it hit me. I was like, oh, he was fucking Santa Claus. (laughs) Um, In terms of actors, though, in this film, I mean, top honors have to go to Elaine Lalane for his uh, fun and compelling character in Tomas. Uh, But at the same time, like I said, to start off so high and on top of the world and by the end of the film we see a a boy's world has been destroyed and he is completely distraught from it uh kudos on the acting and especially at 10 years old so young and he did it so well louis de as the grandfather as well really excellent bridget fossey i know she's not in this movie as much as she probably could have been she's in it enough i mean she's definitely there and whatnot um She's really good though. I, I like her. Um, I like her mother 
character more than I do Catherine O'Hare's in Home Alone, but I really should stop comparing the two films, but it's just it's hard not to when when you're looking at this movie and whatnot. But honestly, when it when it come what it comes down to in this movie, there are three actors that absolutely stand out. The top three being Patrick, Louis, and Elaine. And I will give bonus points for the dog. The dog's adorable. He's so cute. And when yeah. I'm not gonna lie, first time I watched this movie, there may have been a few tears shed. Um <laughs> This movie for me, I'm not gonna, I'm not even gonna beat around the fucking bush on this one. This movie is a fucking solid ten booby traps out of ten for me. I don't know what the deal is with John Hughes. I really don't. I know I've pretty much interjected my own opinions throughout this whole episode. I don't know what he knew. I don't know what he didn't know. I can just say that there are way too many coincidences between the two films that make it very hard for me to believe that. You know, this Hollywood hero, writer, director, whatever. You can't tell me he didn't steal uh, partial ideas from this lesser-known French film. How, how I should basically say, I'm going to say it like this. I'm going to say, you know what, Home Alone? You are what the French call les incompetents. Because, seriously, your family went to fucking France in that first movie. That's just a little too much on the nose for me. I don't know. I could be wrong. I will say, though, that on this note, thank you for listening. I know, I've said a lot of shit this episode. Really talked a lot. Um, This movie is one I actually... Last year, when I saw... When I watched... um, Well, last year I watched Joe Bob do this movie. Um... I believe it was the Joe Bob Saves Christmas special. I've watched it a couple times, actually. I'm not going to lie. But I remember just thinking to myself, man, this is such a movie that there's so much to talk about. And I grew like I grew up in, in 1990. I fell in love with Home Alone. I really did. I, like I said, I still love the movie even to this day. But I, I've watched that movie every year. It's It's... A family tradition in my house. We always watch the first two Home Alones, no matter what. And so I know those movies inside and out. And I remember when I saw this one for the first time a couple years ago, and then watching the Joe Bob episode and just listening to him talk about it. And I'm like, there's just too much. Like, it just, it really bothered me. And I was like, I want to talk about this movie because not only that, I I wanted to really highlight that this is an excellent film that I don't think enough people know about. I mean, sure, it's getting the love in the horror community now, but outside of the horror community, people could actually enjoy this film. Yeah, there's some heartbreaking moments, but 8-Bit Christmas has brought people to tears. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being emotional for a film, right? And I just think that this would be one of those great films to let the world know about. I know I spoiled the fuck out of the whole goddamn movie, but it's because I love this movie that much. It is easily a 10. There's there's no doubting that for me. It's a 10 out of 10. And I'm glad if you've listened to this this far into the episode, I want to thank you for doing that because I know this episode's a little bit longer than the norm. Um, and the reason for that is just because I, I, there was just, my notes kept going and I was just like, I got to talk about this, I got to talk about this, I got to talk about this. And I don't care. It, it's... It might be a little, a little bit of a longer episode, but it was an episode that was very fun to to write about, to record. Um, 
And I mean, gave me a chance. I, not that I needed an excuse, but it let me watch the movie again. Um, so yeah, I want to thank you for listening. I know also, for some reason or other, this episode is filled with ums and likes. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> just kind of like babbling. And you stuck it out, so you're you're awesome for that. Um, there will be one more episode before the Christmas holidays. I'll reveal it. Uh, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold on to this one. I will reveal it through the social media feeds later in the week. But for now, I'm holding on to this one. It's a special little one. It'll be a, a shorter episode than this one, clearly. Um, but it's just one I want to do and. I was actually going to take a break after this episode and then something kind of occurred to me. I was like, no, I got one more left in me. So there will be one more Christmas special next week. Where to find the podcast? You know, Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, Player FM or FM. I I always say FM Player and I think it's actually Player FM. I think I'm actually backwards on that one. Uh, Podbean, Podcast Addict, Amazon Music, Audible, most major podcast streaming apps now hold the show uh also you can find it on redcircle.com social media facebook instagram twitter i still keep them alive uh even though like i said twitter has always been that one where i'm like do i pull the trigger do i pull the trigger no i'll leave it on just for another week and it's still alive Uh, 2021 is probably the year of how many times I threatened I was going to cancel my Twitter account and I didn't. <laughs> but yeah, facebook.com slash what lurks behind podcast zero, Instagram at what lurks behind podcast zero, and on Twitter at WLB podcast zero. Going to close out with the really sappy and almost depressing song that came from this movie uh, that was sung by Bonnie Tyler called Merry Christmas. And yeah. Next week's episode is a surprise for you all, kitties. Think about that for a bit. I know, I know. You need to shut the fuck up. You're not really Santa. If you were Santa, you could do magic. You want to see some magic? Here, let's watch you disappear. Merry, merry Christmas. Don't change kids, stay with us Stay a little Jesus Hold on to my hand It's not a long way To fly, you know Don't fly in vain It's so hard anyway Happy birthday, Christmas. Welcome home, Jesus. Although you rain on us, who can?